Hello, everybody. My name is Neil White, and from Backpage, you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. This is the second part of the final Q&A show for this season. Just above this one on your feed, you'll find everything you might need to know about the Champions League final. That was recorded as a preview before the game itself. And this, um, in this part, part two, we're going to cover any other business from our socios, our beloved socios, at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. And before we begin, I should acknowledge that um, a lot of the questions that were sent in for this Q&A included um, nice things about the show in general this year and sort of thanks to Graham and to Pete for these episodes and to Graham for all the interview um, content that he's provided during the course of, uh, of our sixth season. So thank you to all of you. Um, forgive me if I don't read out every single message, um, but we did read them all and we do appreciate it. The first question comes from socio Ian Body. He says, once again, a season where the cream has risen to the top with the best coaches getting the best from their squads and gaining the trophies. He wants to focus on Xavi, as does Lee Allen. So here come the questions. Where do you see Xavi's progress so far as a coach? And then Lee Allen uh, adds, how good has Xavi been this season? Took them from ninth when Kumul was sacked to second place finish, but lost at home in the Europa League quarterfinals and in the fourth round of the Copper Del Rey. So Ian and Lee combine for an end-of-term report card on Xavi. Graham Hunter in Barcelona, in Belfast, but of Barcelona, of that parish. How's about you? How's about you? You seem best positioned to take on this one. Bods, Lee, hello. A, a little thing that occurs to me immediately is that, um, I think people know now, there was a there was a, a little off the... the off the record sewing bee or knitting knitting circle with um, Xavi Hernandez, his brother Oscar Hernandez and Jordi Cruyff. The day that we were recording the big interview with Luke de Jong, what a, what a, what a sprightly, intelligent, funny guest he was. Um, and therefore, I was told I could sit in to it. There was about nine or ten Catalan journalists and I fluked an entrance, which was nice. Um, and a phrase there... Uh, Xavi said, he said, I inherited a footballing desert. The players, and he never made an exclusion for Busquets or Piquet or Alba. The players had no idea anymore about positional football. The Dutch who came from a school I thought would understand positional football and would be easy to teach. The kids who'd come through from the academy. And he never excluded the guys who'd, who'd learned positional football and, and, remember, had learned positional football under Pep Guardiola because Guardiola was very interventionist and, and players like PK particularly said, you know, I'd always done what I was told to do, but Guardiola was the first one that made me understand it. So, Javier Hernandez said that, as bizarre as it sounded, he started from a blank page in terms of the team playing the style of football that he thinks is paramount. The, 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 reason, the very reason he was employed, because he has been employed by his his love of the club or so, solely for his personality, it's because of the brand of football that he showed he could teach while he was in Asada uh, in Qatar. And as part of that cultural desert where he's had to rebuild uh, and try to make an oasis, um, he talked about the moment where before the Bayern Munich match away in Bavaria, where he, uh, I think, a win would have put them through, I think, 
Certainly they had the opportunity of going through. I just can't remember if it was a win or a draw that put them through. I'm certain given the results, it probably would have had to have been a win. It was a win. And he gave the team talk to them about what he wanted them to do, how he wanted them to perform and how he wanted them to believe. And, and at this stage when we were in the little briefing, um, he said, I looked into their eyes and looking back at me was a group of players who did not believe that they could win. And I was wasting my time. And you click forward a relatively low number of weeks and they're in Naples in a very hostile environment against a very good team, which then, as up until the last couple of weeks of the season, was running Milan and Inter close for the title. A side that last time Barcelona had been there, I'd found it pretty simple to bully them and beat them. And it was a very short gap between Bavaria and... and Sao Paulo, the Diego Maradona Stadium. And Barcelona and horsewhipped them. Absolutely gave them a lesson in football. Now, in that time, there had been reinforcements brought, but they were relatively new. They were finding their feet. They were themselves being taught the basics of a system that none of them really had, had played before. And given that Barcelona is, is, is a machine, just like most big clubs, a machine for what's today? What's the story now? What's happening this instant? Stuff gets forgotten. And maybe one of the reasons that people like listening to uh, you and Martin and Pete and I in a, in a forum like this is that we just go back and remind people of certain things that are important, that are not unrelated to either what has happened or what will continue to happen. And albeit that the that they're restoked fire and furnace of ambition that came because of putting four past Atleti, four past Athletic, four past Napoli, winning in Istanbul, um, and then winning the Clasico in, in Madrid 4 0. Because of that restoked ambition for people who either like or support Barcelona, there, there, there was a sense of disappointment at how the season ended, that Eintracht Frankfurt results, both of them. Um, the, the, I, from my taste, Lee, uh, Ian, for my taste, there's been a, a real misunderstanding, well, misunderstanding, undervaluing of the of the the fundamental changes that Xavi has been able to achieve in a real house environment, a real short period of pressurised time, and he's come to the conclusion that somewhat something near half his squad aren't anywhere near good enough or big enough personalities or or quick enough to learn. And they're in a financial position where it's not not just... Pe people, I think, do an A plus B will see. Financial position, very perilous, means can't go out and buy. What it also means that they can't afford to get rid of players willy-nilly. They have to eke and fight. And Daniel Levy for every centimo. Rather than going, listen, we need to clear it. And yeah, we'll, we'll take a hit on them. We'll take a hit on them. Just to, just to clear the books and start again. They can't do that. So I think there's an enormously difficult several months ahead of them and Chabi's words after the home defeat against uh, Villarreal about um, we need a whole new attitude we need to compete differently tells you a lot about n not just the players ability to learn their, their ability to, to to be considered top class European footballers top class world footballers there, there's a culture change still going on and for my taste at least what he's achieved in a short time is is extremely impressive and extremely important.
I think he's done fantastically well um, since he's taken over. And I think the only, I think one of the major reasons why it's tailed off at the end and why you now have people saying, well, maybe, you know, Chubby's not all that really. It's, it, I think one of the major reasons for that is because of the, 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 the players are playing in an environment which, which doesn't bring the best out of them because every two or three days, someone from the club speaks out about how everyone's up for sale and how they're, 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 they're trying to sign so many new players. If you're Frankie de Jong um, and you go into the last game of the season against Villarreal, you, you've just heard your, your coach in the pre-match press conference say that, yeah, I like him, but if the money comes in, he'll be gone. Um, if you're Aubameyang and you've turned up and scored um, nine league goals in the second half of the season, including two at the Bernabeu against Real Madrid, um, and, and you hear that the club are, are doing everything they can to sign Lewandowski. And you know if Lewandowski turns up, he's not turning up to, to play one game and then sit on the bench. He's going to want to play every single game. He's going to play every single game. And that's you out the team. So that sort of environment where, where nobody... I, I mean, it's about valuing the players. And Barcelona have done a terrible job of this in recent years. Players constantly feel that you know, they're, they're, they're on the market um, and the club would, would love to sell them, would love to get rid of them. And of course, it's in many, many cases, that's completely justified because there are players who were given stupid contracts by the previous president and the club do have to get rid of them. But publicly repeating it every time they're, 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 there's any sort of public appearance by someone who matters at the club is just doesn't help the coach and doesn't help. And, and that was all left to one side in that fantastic period in the second half of the season. When they, when they picked up those magnificent away wins in the Europa League that Graham's already mentioned and the performance in the Classico. And OK, they, they were helped in the Classico by the fact there was no Benzema. But Madrid still had a very strong team out, you know, the other, the other, the other 10 starters. Um, and they destroyed them. And, and um, so that presumably would change at the start of next season because if Xavi gets more or less what he wants within the, the economic restrictions, then... The group will, will be together at the start of the season and everyone will know more or less if they're there, it's because the club wants them to be there, it's because Xavi wants them to be there. Um, and you won't have this kind of cloud of uncertainty hanging over the team in quite the same way it has in the last few games of the season. Then it will depend on the quality of the people that come in. I'm not sure I really understand the pursuit of Lewandowski. Uh, he's obviously a brilliant, brilliant player. You know, I, you know, there's no one's doubting, doubting that. But I'm just not sure it's the priority. Um, and when you've got Aubameyang, who's come in and scored, I think it's 11 goals in all competitions. Um, you know, they need more than that. And, and, and everyone, regardless of whether you're a Barcelona fan, wants Ansu Fati to be 100% fit for the whole of next season. If that's the case, then I'm just not sure that putting so much of, the, of, your, of, your, of your budget when the budget is so small towards that position necessarily makes sense. And I, and I, I suspect that this is being driven. Oh, of course, Xavi wants him and Xavi's spoken to him. Uh, I mean, he's tried to persuade him to come to the club. But I think in part, this is being pushed by the, the fact that the club want a big name. They tried for Haaland. Um, and, and that wasn't possible. And, and Lewandowski is the next not next notch down. Um, and it will be about who who he brings in, <clears throat> because as, as Graham says, Xavi has realised over the course of the season that there are too many players who, no matter how many times he tells them, and no matter how he coaches them, they're not going to be good enough to play the way he wants to play. Too slow on the ball, lingering possession too long, 
poor old Adama was awful at the weekend. And it's, I feel sad for him that his last yeah. touch in a Barcelona shirt is an assist yeah. um, to Moy Gomez to score Villarreal's second goal. But uh, he needs a different sort of player. Um, but if they build a team around Pedri um, and, and a team that's a proper Xavi team and not just a team with, you know, with a few short-term big-name measures that won't necessarily help him create the side that he wants to create, then I think he's a fantastic coach. And, and I think that you know, the, the best thing about the Barca future is that it's in Xavi's hands. Okay, we're going to take a question now. The first of a couple of crackers, actually, that Gustavo Bagatini sent in. Gustavo asked, which of the clubs outside the top four in Spain do you see having the best platform for improving next season? Players entering their peak, favourable finances under La Liga's FFP rules to allow for squad improvement, etc. So um, if you can only pick one of the, the teams outside the top four that you think are in a position to be better next season, Let's start with you. Who would you pick? Um, well, I'll pick one and, and then just quickly talk about two others. Um, I, I, I'm going to pick Real Sociedad because I think this season, so much has gone against them that I don't think we'll, we'll go against them next season. The, the, the inability to score goals um, and the fact that Isak just ran out of confidence, that, that won't happen next season. Um, and they finished the, the campaign reasonably strongly. I still think they have a fantastic young group uh, there's more to come from from Chabi's brilliant um, Sansei youth team. So I'd pick them. And just to touch on two others, um, Villarreal and Betis, I think um, there are already signs that Pellegrini is a little bit um, pessimistic um, because he's, he's, he's worked miracles this season. They've won the cup. They could easily have finished in the Champions League. Um, they just ran out of legs towards the end of the season. Um, and there doesn't seem to be too much... Uh, belief that they can take it to the next level in any shape or form in, in terms of what they do. They might get lucky and hold on to everyone just because, you know, no one comes in for any of the players because it's a strange squad. Although they play fantastic football, it's very much the sum of the parts, you know, being greater than the individuals. And, and there won't necessarily be big offers for any of the players, including including Fekir. So if, if Pellegrini keeps the things together, but I think he's already feeling that, you know, are, we, are we not going to try and take this, the next step on? Am I not going to get Isco? Is Isco going to go to, to Sevilla and, and work with Lopetegui? Um, and Villarreal, I think Villarreal have to sell. And that's a shame. Um, we've spoken before about the fact they've got Champions League money this season, but they don't have it next season. And I think in view of that, I think Pal Torres will probably leave. Maybe Dan Juma as well. But if they can keep Emery and if they can be clever in the transfer market, and they usually are, for example, go out and get Jorge de Frutos if Dan Juma does leave, then, then they'll be there, there or thereabouts too. But uh, I would pick Real Sociedad. I'd like to, to believe that it's Villarreal, but there are so many provisos there in that, like Pete, I think that Pau Torres has reached a time where it's important for him to go. He can't be doing another season um, during which he doesn't play Champions League football. We're going to play Conference League football because there were signs once they were knocked out by Liverpool that his attention had drifted. And that's natural at that age with that ability. He's very, very important for Spain. I think that he stayed a season when... Uh, listen, there's no point in, in, in mucking about a, 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 a very leading Premier League club, which might be in Paris this weekend phoned me um, a year and a half ago to say look, what do you know about Pau Torres what do you think about him what kind of guy is he and, and they were hot t- to trot on him 
Um, you know, without revealing that club at all, I think Konate has probably taken that deal away from Pau Torres. But you'd imagine that Manchester United's determined attempt to rebuild and they're, they're, they're relatively limited available. If people think that United are just going to be able to smash their way through the market, they're not. The lack of Champions League football is going to hurt them. Their budgets are not going to be so great, but they can afford Pau Torres. And I, I think there's a likelihood he does go, but I'm also you know, pretty distinctly worried about the, the pillars of the team, the age. This is why, Gustavo, I'm, I'm in my head as I'm talking, I'm trying to work my way, way away from saying Villarreal because you know, if you look at the age profiles of Albiol, uh, Danny Parejo, Coquelin, Capu, in particular, Gerard Moreno is only 30, but this is a stage where he needs to prove that this has been a blip in terms of injuries rather than something that's going to be repetitive. I think Pete's better connected to Danjuma's people, but I think they'll be able. To re- I think they will be able to retain Danjuma, um, and therefore, whether it's them or, or or Betis, because Athletic are in a terrible, terrible situation. Marcelino has left, and and probably has left because of indolence. There are presidential elections coming up. There, it's not till late June, which is just a piece of nonsense the statutes say there's got to be a certain amount of time between when the elections are announced and when they're held but they should have been held in at the latest <laughs> this week so that they can have a new manager because they're they're planning albeit that they can't go out and buy a, a, a Colombian and a Brazilian and a, and a Japanese and an Englishman because of their determination only to to, to sign Basque-born or Basque-raised footballers means that their transfer work has to be even more precise. They have to find the guys who qualify. They have to have been working on them and saying, this is how we'll get you here. Or else it's the same squad again with potentially Serrano promoted to get a little bit more game time and blah, blah, blah. So um, I'd equally love to be able to say Valencia, but that would just make me a laughing stock. They're, they're in a desperate mess. Um, that wouldn't necessarily need to be the case if they were bought over by a, by, a, by a nation state and then we'd all be absolutely furious and up in arms, unless that nation state was Scotland and Nicola Sturgeon bought um, Valencia, which you know, I'd get right behind. And, and therefore, I'd like to believe it's... it's listen, Villarreal have got a gigantic Champions League money. They will take in 80-plus million for a club which is already very well balanced financially, although Reutsch Senior keeps saying that the club has to be self-sustaining. They're spending a lot of money on the ground. I think there is a possibility that even with the dramatic reshaping of the squad and even with the possibility that Emery leaves, which I think is is feasible if you read, if you read his interview with Dermot Corrigan in The Athletic, it's possible, Gustavo, that the answer is Villarreal still. I'd like to believe it's Betis because it's an enormously exciting club which has had to live in the shadow of Seville for so, so, so long. And I like Pellegrini's... Not not quite pessimism, I can't remember the word you used, but potentially a sense of dread that, that this was the best year, not what's coming. I think they've become a much more coherent, much more consistent club in who they sign, how they sign... Financially, they're not they're not massively blessed, and then there will be people that come and pick players off. 
and there are only a couple of players who are indispensable at that, at that club. Guido being one, the keeper being another. Borja is very, very important, and Fakir is re-signed. But, but Guido and Rusilva, I think, are probably the two absolute linchpin footballers, um, without whom things become a little bit difficult. Bayerin looks as if they can't retain him, and I think that's a little bit sad. Sapoli's good, but, but very different in profile. So I'm torn between Betis and Villarreal, and I'd love to say Real Sociedad, Gustavo, but I, I'm not sure that I've got the faith. There, there is a, there is a, a lack of hard-nosed, we've been the course, winning mentality in the squad. It's hard to buy that, but I believe in Olabe, the football director. I think, I think he's high quality. And Jokin Aparebe is clearly willing to invest heavily. They're going to keep David Silva. Monreal's going to go. I think they missed him this season. I think that was an important one. What's Jabi in charge? There's a shout. There's a shout. There's a shout. You, you negotiated a massive power play by saying to him and all, take a, a two-year sabbatical back in charge of the, the B team in the academy. You'll be back in charge of this team after a little break. We're going to give Xabi his leg up. Wow. Wow. Gustavo, there's... This is this is why I'm only a guest on Peter's show. There you are. There's your answer, Gustavo. Real Sociedad with Xavi Alonso in, in charge. Otherwise, I'm going to say Real Betis. With our break approaching, let's very quickly uh, take this one from Bet365, who simply asked for some end-of-season awards from the Spanish League. Player of the Year, Young Player of the Year, and Manager of the Year. I think the first two might be unanimous and quite straightforward. I could be wrong. But I'd be interested. Why, 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 why? Hey, walk the walk, man. Who, why? Who are you choosing? I, I'm going to choose the presumptive nominee for the Ballon d'Or as my third of the year. And I'm going to choose the uh, feature of the Spanish national team for a generation as my young third of the year. Okay, just repeat the question for my, uh, for my benefit, will you? End of season awards, player of the year, young player of the year, and manager of the year. I, I, I'm going to be brief for the only time in, this, in the history of this session. Their, their player of the year in Spain, nay, the world, is Karim Benzema. And I'm sorry to those who love Mo Salah, which includes Mo Salah, um, De Bruyne fans, Mbappe, wow, Mbappe, wow. Benzema by just such a long distance, by, by miles and miles and miles, and I can see for miles and miles. Yeah, Any dissension? No, because... Um because he's been the best player in the world um, for the last season. I, I, I was preparing, I was writing something else this morning and I saw that France football dubbed him um, Zinaldo um, in 2009 <laughs> when he was, and isn't that the perfect nickname for him? Doesn't he have all the elegance <laughs> and the technique of Zidane? And, you're you know, right. the, That's and this season, brilliant. more than any yeah. other, the, the prolific finishing of Ronaldo. Um, so, of course, it has to be Benson. And I'm equally, you know, there's only one candidate for the young player as well. Vinicius. Whoa, hold on there, Tiger. It's got to be Vinicius. You know, yeah, maybe that's the way my my, my, my V goes, but um, only because of Pedri's lack of appearances. P- Pedri, is, Pedri is an outright, outright genius. And I won't, you know, I've, I was... I was coachman for, for Vinicius for long enough in, in, in a genuine belief that, that real specialness was coming 
not out of any obstinacy or desire to piss into the wind, but and Vinicius has has fulfilled all of that this season, and we're you know we're 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 barely beginning the upswing of the trajectory. There's there's so much more to come because I think his ability to adapt will also show us. There was a little incident um, in the nil-nil draw at the Madrigal where Benzema was absent and Bale played up front. And Bale played in, in a wholly different position and a wholly different manner than Benzema, naturally, because he is Gareth Bale. And Vinicius at first was a little bit, well, well hold on a second, he's, he's playing in Karim's position, but there's nothing, and, uh, and, and Vinicius was playing wide. And the one that worked it out, and this is not a, a, a veiled or direct criticism of Bale, the one who worked it out quickest was Vinicius. And he went, right, if Bale's doing that, this is what I must do. And from about the 30th minute onwards until the point at which I think Bale departed, I think he came off sub. So let, let's let's call it for about a chunk of about vaguely 45, 50 minutes. Vinicius adapted his decision-making, his position on the pitch. He played much more interior, so it'd be closer to Bale. And he helped set up some of the chances that Bale very nearly profited from and played well, having looked a little bit of a fish out of water uh, because when you strip Benzema away, sometimes Vinicius, um, what do you call it, reverts to being just a winger rather than the, the complete winger come 10, come second forward that he's been this season. But he showed an intelligence that, that's developing and an adaptability, which I think will be needed in him, whoever's next at Real Madrid, once Benzema's not there, which the, the, that day will come, sadly. Um, but but Pedri is the only thing that would take it away from Pedri, because Pedri is just innately, you know, has been since the first time we saw him in a Blaugrana shirt, although it took me six, seven weeks to, to, to come to the conclusion. It, he's just, everything is there. Everything is pre-programmed. It's utter, it's like, unwrap him, plug him in and then leave alone everything is perfect and it's just it's unbelievable it's unnerving to watch him and therefore I, I don't know I don't know how to choose the only criterion upon which you know Vinicius gets ahead of Pedri is that Pedri played so few games this season but when he played he justified Xavi's Xavi oscillates between best in the world in his position and best in best in the world, which might be a little bit big. But <laughs> Pedri gets Pedri gets goal of the season for that that goal against Sevilla when he sends two defenders hurtling off the edge of a cliff and then oh. beats and then beats the Zamora, the you know the best the hardest goalkeeper to beat in Spain this season, Bono. So he gets that, but it's got to be Vinicius. And I think Graham's right in saying there's a lot more to come. And I've been surprised at the sort of. Um, um, uh, kind of um, sackcloth and ashes because Mbappe's not arriving, and and you know it's not that I'm, it's not that I think that Vinicius is as good as 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 good as Mbappe, but I tell you what, the goal he scored against Manchester City when he goes from the halfway line, there's only a couple of players in the world who could have scored that goal in that sort of game, and one of them is Mbappe, and another one, and another of them is, is Vinicius, and he can go on getting better and better, and if Mbappe had turned up, there would have been a situation where you've got two magnificent players who want to play in exactly the same position. Someone would have had to lose out. Probably would have been Vinicius. So I think there is uh, there is more to come. And what about a managerial award if we look at it as a, as a sort of pound-for-pound pound performance? Who do you think has done the best job? 
Yeah, it's always got to be pound for pound, isn't it? We can't just pick the the, the guy who won the league. Um, I think uh, I think Sergio did a fantastic job at Cadiz. Um, parachuted in. They started playing as well as anyone else in in La Liga, and uh, I'm glad they got away with it on the last day of the season. Um, I'd probably go with with Pellegrini because I maintained something I said earlier in the season that the, the squad in another coach's hands would have been closer to the to the relegation zone and to the European places, and he brought the best out of out of players um you know he had defend, he had fullbacks who couldn't defend um uh, and he and he improved them um and he's got got the best out of Fekir just as he got the best back in the day out of Raquel me Juanmi's another one who's shone under him um Iglesias Borja Iglesias has, uh, has had a very good season I, I think in terms of what he had to work with and and to win the cup and to come so close, uh, just the last. It was just the the next couple of games after the cup final. They just had nothing in the tank. They couldn't beat Getafe, um, and uh, you know, in, in the end, finished fifth. But I would pick Pellegrini. Yeah, I, I think if if we hadn't introduced the the pound for pound, and for those, it's a, it's a phrase we use a lot, but it's a phrase that boxing introduced to try and say, like, you can't put Charlie Magri in, in the ring with Sugar Ray Leonard or with Mike Tyson. So across the weight divisions, um, from flyweight up to heavyweight, um, how do you compare? Upon which criteria, other than power, do you say, well, good, better, best? And, you know, if we don't introduce pound for pound, Ancelotti wins it easily because what he's done this season has largely not been based upon expenditure. Alaba came free, a very, very good player and a very good signing, but came for free. Other, you know, other clubs were available to him. And Camavinga came for a, a very small sum relative to his worth in the market. And he joined, joined aged 18. And so to take that squad from a trophyless season to on the verge of being Spain and European champions for only the second time since 1958 which is a genuinely remarkable fact, albeit Liverpool stand in their way, Ancelotti is also huge fun. He makes football better. He doesn't simply make um, Real Madrid better. It's good to watch him. It's good to understand him. He plays a brand of football, which or his teams tend to play a brand of football, which is not hugely refined. From my taste, he's far more of a man-manager than an outright coach but the same was true of Zidane and he, he seemed to have stumbled his way to three consecutive Champions League for the first time since Bayern Munich did it in the mid-70s so don't don't take it that I'm in any way um, what's the pejorative in my description of him but when you listen to him week in week out and, and the questions you can ask Ancelotti and the types of answers you get he's just worth having it's such a pleasure for him to be in La Liga. And we live in an era where La Liga's clubs are finding it harder to, bu- to buy the best stars and retain the best stars. And to some extent, some of the icons, brand value of La Liga comes from the managers now. As much as, maybe not more than the players, but as much as the players. But on a pound-to-pound ratio, Pete's nailed it again. On a pound-for-pound ratio... It's Pellegrini for the brand of football that his green and white army has been playing. 
for the way in which he's revitalised not only the club but that fan base, for the fact that they prevented, you know, a, a bunch of street thugs winning the cup final. You know, it was disgusting. There are ways to defend Bordelas and his abilities. And for my taste, the fan base at Valencia are a little over hostile to Peter Lim, who nominally is the owner, but Meriton, the company, actually own it. And it's a, it's a difficult financial situation. And Anil Murti, the, the, the chief executive who runs Valencia for Lim, was surreptitiously recorded in tapes that were released and one of the things that happened was that Lim came out of it quite well because Anil Murthy was saying, well, I, I really wanted to sell... I forget who one player was, Geddish, and I wanted to sell... Who was the other one, Pete? Maybe he wanted to... Maxi, Maxi, Maxi. I wanted to sell Maxi and I wanted to sell Geddish and Peter Lim wouldn't, wouldn't let me. He's behaving like a fan. <laughs> the fans don't think so, but there was some evidence that... However, the way that Valencia played that final was just, you know, it would make you, you know, want to vomit into your neighbour's hat. And um, Betis stuck with it, didn't get anybody sent off, played by far the most. They played brave football because they went into challenges and open spaces and passing movements knowing that they, they were, they were going to get clocked. And they did. And all right, they only won it on penalties and I felt a little bit sorry for... Whoever missed Valencia's penalty, I should be able to say, but I can't. It's just not coming to me. Uh, it was uh, Eunice. Ah, uh, poor old uh, yeah, Eunice, who's who's potentially a lovely footballer, um, with a with a fantastic London accent, despite playing for the States and being born in Italy and growing up in Spain. But um, when Miranda scored that penalty, I was absolutely thrilled. Um, Pete nailed it pound for pound. Dear sponsors, like you. Green and white is the colour. It, it's Pellegrini and Betis, no Pete? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So both of you were talking there um, about the situation at Valencia here with an audio question is Richard Cosmara. Graham, Pete, thanks so much for the Q&As this season. Brilliant. You cannot be getting proper in-depth uh, replies from people who know the stuff. And my final question is on Valencia. Incredible scenes outside the Mastaya on uh, Saturday evening. 
against Peter Lim. I, I've seen some protests in my time against ownership, but never anything like that. Striking images uh, there. But where are we heading with Valencia? Obviously, uh, I think Bordelas has had a decent season. I know, Graham, you've criticised him at times for his, some of his words, but I think he knows what he's doing. Again, it looks like sales haven't to be made. What are we thinking? Is Bordelas going to be there at the start of next season? Are they going to be sliding even further down the table? It's such a shame because as the third biggest city in Spain, they should be uh, challenging for top four, but no chance at the moment. Cheers, guys. The future of Valencia, um, it's pretty grim, really, and they don't, they, don't, uh, they don't mind admitting it. I mean, there was a, um, there was a sort of a media event earlier in the season with, with, uh, with Murti, and, um, you know, he came out and said, um, we were a selling club and, and, you know, we're happy for players to, to leave once they reach a certain level and we can get a certain... Um, amount of money in for them because if you don't get people out then you can't bring people through which is sort of how it works but not really because when you do that you find in the end you hit a wall and you, and you find that you've actually sold everyone and, and, and there's not enough that's come through um, and you end up going down um, and Valencia every season you know there's a period in the campaign where you think are they actually going to end up in the relegation battle um, I can understand the club being run um, 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 sensibly and it wasn't run sensibly by the previous owners and that's why they're in the state they're in and it's such a shame that they're leaving a perfectly good stadium to move to another stadium which looks like the current stadium but is somewhere else um, um, but um, they need to be smarter they need to be smarter they need to, to, to get two or three good seasons out of Ferran Torres before they sell him to Manchester City um, they need to keep hold of a manager who's got them into the Champions League and won them the club up even if he throws a bit of a fit at the end of the season they need to just say okay let's everyone calm down you're still in charge uh next next season uh they just need to be a bit clever about about the way they're, they're doing things um and in the end if the results come on the pitch then the supporters will forget about the fact that um the owner is not at the games ever yeah listen super course first of all um don't ever change it's Secondly, why have you never revealed to us when it was that you won the Euro Millions? Because I, I don't know how you've got time to become a first-rate Sky commentator, to travel around Spain regularly every season, going from match to match. What is it you do for a... J what do you mean, Breaking Bad? I, oh, I don't want to know. Okay, fair enough. So because I better call Saul. But very good commentary the other day. Carlos Carboran, Championship Manager of the Year. Valencia born yes he is um, look 2019 was a hell of a year because it was when um, Abelarda took Alaves to 11th them having been relegation fodder and put them on a you know an unbeaten run that matched any big team around Europe and at the end of 2019 Sergio Fernandez the, and and the, the, the president and the board uh, Alaves said, no, 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 new contract, bigger wages, bugger off and, and look at Alaves now. And it was in 2019 when Murti and and, and and Lim got the pin about Marcelino having ignored their direct orders as Valencia coach to concentrate wholly on getting top four rather than trying to also win the, the cup. And, you know, he did... He did win the cup, and um, he took them into Europe as well. And look at them now; they, they they got rid of Marcelino because he'd said, "Let me invest. I want I want to run a squad that's got a possibility of 
not just staying in the top four, but winning the title. I want to have something that makes us competitive. And here they are with, you know, if people, their socios don't know what Richard was talking about, then it was the the Valencia end of season match where they, they win pretty easily, to be honest, against a very impoverished Celta performance. And... You know, there are clusters of people. It looked like a county cricket game, you know. Uh, there were clusters of people around Mustaya and the brass band was playing Oompa. Um, but outside you could hear that, the, 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 you know, the, what do they call it? The the people are revolting. And that's what Lim and I know Marty think of them, but that was a really concerted, noisy process. And, and fans who gave up on seeing the last game of the season in the sunshine for Valencia at Mastaya and I think as a fan that's that's a lot to give up and it was a protest that I, I don't think will have any impact on you know the Teflon too of Murti and and Lim and I think that there's also although I think they're in the wrong direction and Pete's point about them needing to be much more canny is 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 provably true there always needs to be from fans who are saying we ain't happy you know, they, they, before Marathon, the club was about to go out of business. And the situation was so, so bad that only the local council was really guaranteeing their debt and, and had anybody in the council thought they were going to lose their seat because of the voters being unhappy or whatever, then Valencia could have gone to the wall. So it's not a good situation, but it's better than being, you know, bankrupt and having to start again as... You know, as Valencia 2016, as a new entity altogether. Like, I, there, there aren't easy solutions, Richard. I don't know if there's a buyer on the horizon. And we've seen recently that those that come in and buy clubs do not, under any circumstances, offer an absolutely cast-iron guarantee of a rosier future. It's a possibility, but it is not a guarantee. And unless that happens... I see Peter Lim and Meriton saying, we're, we're not getting financial dividends from this. We're not getting our money back. And for that reason, we're out. At which point, Valencia are fucked. So currently, it's, it's like a grumbling appendix, appendix, appendix that hasn't burst. But when that appendix bursts, then you need emergency surgery. And I don't see, you know, a friendly scalpel anywhere around. And I... I think that I know Marty's the tapes that were revealed suggested that I know Marty isn't that keen on necessarily on Bordelas and Bordelas has been told that he needs to lose up to 70 million euros worth of players which immediately suggests Gaia and Soler have both got a year like Pete said you know Fern Torres they didn't get a decent fee from him didn't get more time out of him because he was like this isn't the place to be it ain't it just isn't and as much as Soler feels differently about his hometown club, it's not the place right now, it's not the place for him to be. And it's not the place for Gaia to be. And Geddes will probably, although he's had a good season under Bordelas, will probably feel the same. Strip them three out and, and don't uh, reinforce properly in Valencia. I, I don't think that they're, they're potential relegation victims next season if they scout and sign adequately. From one crystal ball to another, James Fouracres, do you think Ten Hag will be given time to pull the United team apart 
start again in his own image. And if results don't immediately go his way, stick by him. Or do you feel as though the board will get trigger happy again, fire him with even more dead wood for the next manager? Which does seem to have been the trend at Manchester United. Um, Ten Hag uh, arrived on the scene for a press conference this week. Do you think this is a plan, gentlemen, for the Manchester United decision makers? Are you going to stick with for the, the long term? Let me jump in first because Graham will have far more to say about this than me. Um, United wanted Luis Enrique. Um, and, and, and what happens to Luis Enrique post the World Cup, I think have, will have an influence on, on the answer to this question. I, I mean, the obvious thing is that, they, of course, they'll give him time because they, they've, got to give, they've got to stop and, and give someone time. Otherwise, this is going to go on um, interminably. Um, but um, if Luis Enrique feels after the Qatar World Cup that it's time to go back into club management, then certainly United wanted him first choice. Um, and that might have some bearing on on how patient they are um, with the with the, with the new manager. It's time since David Moyes. Gen- generally, the factor that's been a problem at at Manchester United. I'm I'm a little bit unconvinced about whether time is is. Mourinho got from July 2016 until December 2012, but by the time he went, there was a patent breakdown of relationship between him and his players. David Moyes got too short a spell of time. I think everybody is now saying that although it felt calamitous at the time, it might not have been given time. I'll, I'll accept that. Van Hal, 2014, and Van Hal got two years. Solskjaer got three years. Um, in the context of what passes for um, managerial mayhem now, around the world that's not been their principal problem um, the culture at Manchester United's um, training ground is abysmal absolutely abysmal and from somebody who, who enjoys working around the, the Spain squad when I either go as a correspondent or fingers crossed as a TV producer for them in Qatar I'm really glad they didn't sign Luis Enrique and I'm also glad for him because it would have been utterly disastrous. Um, with the prevailing decision-making, spinelessness, brainlessness that has been prevalent or in, in some key positions around the club, not just um, the team, Luis Enrique's patience would have lasted about a week and a half. And I hope that changes so that one day Luis Enrique can successfully coach Manchester United. But without purporting to know um, intimately about Ten Hag's um, chances of success, I think that the the way he um, organises things, the way he coaches, the fact that he won his first battle, which was, it, it was clear he was always going to get Mitchell van der Haag, um, an appointment I'm not sure Jack Stam is all that impressed by. But, you know, we've known, I mentioned for Bet365 a few weeks ago, that... Ten Hag was absolutely determined to get McLaren on board. And I mentioned that that first battle would determine what his standing with the club was because they didn't want to... They actually explicitly said to Ten Hag, take a look at what we've got before you decide and then we'll come back. No, no, this is what I want. That's what you do. The the mantra in any job is you're, you're at your most powerful, you know, as you start first day, first week. Had he lost that battle, then I'd have gone with James's argument that time might be a component for 
Ten Hag because if you can't win that battle, then you know whether you're right or wrong about Steve McLaren. And I think that Steve McLaren has has changed over the years from you know the epitome of his um, self absorption when he was England England coach to somebody who's who's learned, developed, changed a little bit, and somebody who I think can help turn the tide of the daily work and the daily attitudes at Manchester United. Not, here's what it was like under me and Fergie, but a modern, these standards aren't good enough. That needs to change. I'll handle that, boss, while you handle team decisions, while you handle assessing opponents, while you handle watching the kids to see who can come through. I spoke to somebody at United recently who said that the, the academy work has improved from, from, a, from an atrocious state um, four or five years ago to now. And I, and I don't simply mean the coach that won the FA Youth Cup for, um, for Manchester United in that, in that three-quarters full house at Old Trafford recently where I think they won 2-1. Um, that coach they think so highly of. And he's there already and have been for months turning down requests to be able to take him away, sign him for other clubs. But th- there's been a change in terms of um, the, how they scout at youth level, how they train at youth level. And because the journey back was so long, it isn't, you know, it isn't by any means complete yet. But there was a complaint from one person I know at United saying that there's a lot of the players who are coming through the youth system now who've got a sense of entitlement and are strolling around and billy, billy big bollocks that matches what they see in the senior squad. So Ten Hag has got, not on his own, a culture change to make as well as trying to convince the media. And, and I think it was a clever idea, that thing about introducing himself and going around and shaking hands with everybody. It was really funny when he got to the end of the row uh, yesterday as we record, where he reached out and... <laughs> Neil Custis, Neil Custis' son, and um, Tanag shook his hand and didn't say it. I heard about you, but it was a kind of like a, a little shudder went on. Um, he's got an he's got an extraordinary task. So James, the answer is he'll he'll have to be given time, and I think that it will surprise him how low some standards are. But if you listen to him rather than simply go, oh, we've done well at Ajax. If you listen to him and, and how he speaks, what he stands for, what types of decisions he makes, and the fact that, he, unlike what we talked about earlier in the show about like being a, a player whisperer coach like um, Ancelotti and Zidane, he has had that ability. If you look at the Ajax players who, who performed really well and really functionally, in fact, the comparison is probably with Pellegrini, players that played to, to the peak of their ability in the red and white of Ajax, then went elsewhere and you're like, well, wait a second, where's where's the magic? And I don't just mean Van de Beek by that. But he's also patently a really um, educated, really virile coach, not just man-manager, who will alternate and has alternated this season for acts, if you look at it, between 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 and 3-4-3. So I see him potentially being able to, to get... Um, different performances out of players both through tactical tactical teaching and man management I see him probably and I think this is where Pau Torres comes into the equation I think starting with a system that has four at the back but with one full back 
much more daring and advanced and the other fullback tucking in to make a three so that United often play it looks like four to begin with but it's it's practically a three at the back three four three and I and I see flexibility I see I trust what he says about entertainment being a keynote for him and he's got a brilliant phrase I listened to a, a long Dutch translated interview with him which you know it was very well translated in English and he talked about one of the things I always want from my team is that the opposition is befuddled, that they feel threatened, that they feel confused. Now, for that, you need mentally and physically agile players who are playing to a structure and are dancing, a, a, you know, river dancing a tune that the other, the other side, like, fuck, I don't even know what this music is. Now, he's not Pep Guardiola, but Guardiola had that effect. And it's what Ten Hag wants to achieve. I think these are all clear-cut, well-enunciated, laudable themes to bring into a new job. But when he gets in and, and, and thinks he's got a Gucci wardrobe but finds out it's all man at Topshop in 1976, there's a lot of remedial um, work needing to be done in their, in their, um, in their vestments. He's, he's got a hell of a job, the boy. A shitty wardrobe and a grumbling appendix. That's bad luck. Robert Ryan, um, Sasha Robert Ryan, thank you very much for sending in this question about Rangers' run to the final of the Europa League, which a lot of people have watched. Robert says, um, the European final appearance isn't just a random run for Rangers, but three or four seasons of concerted progress, if not relative success. My question is, have you come across a greater respect again for Rangers in your European circles um, because of because of this, uh, this being, I guess, the progress under Steven Gerrard that was um, the, the, the cake which had a cherry placed upon its top by Giovanni Van Pockhurst, who, who took them to the final. So what was some sort of coverage in, in Spain in general uh, around that final? What was the reaction to Rangers' performance? And then I guess, you know, if that was, if that was a, a team from a neutral country, that, a, a small market neutral country that had made a run to the final, you'd be looking at a lot of those players, I guess, and some of those bigger clubs from bigger countries like Spain would have their eye on one or two of them. Well, listen, Bobby Ryan, given that, um, you know, Pete is Anglo-Spanish, um, that makes you, even though you're an Anglo-Scottish-Italian, uh, uh, me, Neil and Martin on this broadcast, who are Scots, it's fair to, to answer back that, um, first of all, uh, it's pleasing not to have to be reporting on what I, I heard a lot of Rangers journalists and Rangers fans saying that there would be pandemonium and chaos in Seville. The only such scenes were either caused by Eintracht Frankfurt's, you know, organised hooligans or by the way in which both Eintracht Frankfurt fans and Rangers fans were let down by the by the cops and by the the way in which people try to fleece them for water in hot conditions and. It's sad that that's a sad taste from the final, a sour taste from the final, but I'm glad it's not Scots abroad getting hopped up, baking hot sun, lots of hooliganism, and it's really pleasing to know that Rangers, as an entity, went to Seville and, and left the vast majority of people there impressed with them and you know, and, and taken aback by, by uh, what, it hap what happened um, off the pitch. Um, on the pitch, I think it is a culmination of, of something that I talked about in an interview with Stephen Gerrard 
um, when he was in charge about the, the way he'd racked up 30-something European games in the time it had taken Bill Shankly 10 years Ten years to, to, to rack up as many European matches, and I said to him, "That's for you, and that's for squad. That's an ex- that's an, a master's degree in learning how to cope with different teams, different uh, climates, different formations, different travelling conditions, length of travel, and, and 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 it culminated in a really mature, really impressive season. A trophy is always a big deal. As an Aberdeen fan, you know, I I I, I definitely would have preferred." And it is true of any Scottish club, a Scottish club to have won the final. But as an Aberdeen fan, I'd be a liar if I didn't say I'm I'm pleased that we're still the only two star team in in Scotland. But on the night, I would have been delighted for Rangers to win, just the same as I would have been for Celtic to beat uh, Mourinho's cheating Porto. And the the fact of the matter is that to to do what they did to Dortmund in particular, I think Leipzig also um, showed maturity and intelligence. The fact that um, two Aberdonians were central to that and the, the win against Hearts in the Scottish Cup final didn't give me a lot of pleasure um, well done Mr Wright, well done Mr Jack um, you should be playing in red with two stars on your chest but never mind and yeah, do, do I see players b- being bought from from Rangers now because this has alerted people to the fact that they are capable far beyond um, competing in second place this season to Celtic, yeah definitely Bassey is, 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 is on everybody's lips right now but you you would hope with the, I mean what I think Rangers taken thirteen million so far from the Europa League, you'd hope that that allows them to keep players like him like Tavernier, Aribo has developed. I think he's probably the, the the key watch player to say, from a tentative guy, you could look like a, a giraffe on ice when he came and and a little bit lacking confidence. He he's a very interesting footballer. So, you know, from their point of view, good luck to Stuart Robertson and a, a long time friend of mine. And somebody I like a lot, somebody I used to play football with in the eighties. Good luck to Stuart and, and and his club and his squad in 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 keeping the right players together for Giovanni Bronckhorst. From Aberdeen's point of view, you know, I hope somebody comes in and buys a lot of them. Um, but sadly, I can't see that happening. And Roberto, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you really enjoyed watching um, what your team was able to do for you in Europe. And in terms of how they're perceived in, in Spain, can you see that 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 I'm showing you there, Graham, which is the back page? La noche del loco Johnston. Yeah, which so uh, the back page of Mark are dedicated to the 50th anniversary of the Rangers winning at the Camp Nou. So, and that's Willie Johnson, is it? If you look at the caption. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, yesterday was the 50th anniversary of the only title they've won abroad. Um, the Rangers of Willie Johnston, uh, the player who was taken off the pitch at gunpoint. I don't, I don't know about that. Seeing as this is our last Q&A show, let's try and get every socio that sent in their question in. So our final one comes from Peter Gordon. Finally, after a full season, the floodgates are open and Graham is allowed to take on a question about the only team he really cares for. Hi, Graham. What's your view of Jim Goodwin, who I shall explain for uh, for, for viewers who may not, for listeners who may not know, is the manager of Aberdeen. What's your view of Jim Goodwin's start and how does it feel to look up the table and see St Mirren in a higher position? Peter is a St Mirren fan. Graham, it's over to you. Other Peter, uh, thanks for the question. Uh, I've been told I have to keep this short. It's first of all, Neil and Peter, it's Mr Jim Goodwin to you too. Thank you. Yes, there has been a dearth of good performances and a dearth of wins under uh, Jim Goodwin. Um, I was at his first game, which was the the 1-1 draw with the Arabs at Pataudry. 
under the gaze of Sir Alex Ferguson. I thought we were superb. I thought, no, I thought we were very good that day. Could have won by five. Didn't. We didn't finish particularly well. There have been difficulties, I suspect, because we are a squad whereby that competitive, nasty edge has either been eroded or is absent in terms of how well we've we've been purchasing in recent years. And I don't think that we're a, 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 a squad that lives and breathes competitive intensity every single day, never mind match days. And I think and hope that Jim Goodwin is the man to correct that, along with um, our head of recruitment, who's Tony Mowbray's brother, Darren, and our head of football, who's Stephen Gunn. I, I'm, in fact, going to meet Jim Goodwin a couple of days after recording this, so I'll tell you more at that stage. Peter wants me to say, well done, the buddies, so I will, well done, the buddies. Not only did you finish higher on the table, but in that first game at New Love Street, or whatever it's called, um, which is nothing to know people that don't know Scottish it was nothing to do with Love Island although um, I'd like to have voted them off uh, this season when they beat us comprehensively look uh, Peter uh, I think the dandies have got quite a long road back but I'm willing to believe that Jim Goodwin is, is a good appointment is somebody that's got has definitely got um, a, a, a vision and, and a bite in his demands about what we've got to be doing every day in order to be better on match days and therefore not content with finishing just, just above the relegation zone very sad that a very good coach in Stephen Glass didn't make it through his first season really sad about that but yeah Jim Goodwin I, I have got uh, belief in and I'll be better educated on him and what he stands for and what he's going to do when I speak to him at Cormac Park this Friday morning. Okay, that wraps it up for this Q&A and it indeed wraps up for this season. So, you know, thank you as ever to, to Graham and Pete for your fantastic contributions, especially in these Q&A shows. And thanks to every single one of you, um, well, listeners, but also the socios in particular who send in the questions and enable us to do these shows, um, make it a little bit different for you guys. Yeah, Neil, Neil, a heartfelt echoing of what you're saying. Thanks to you and Martin for all your hours and input and professionalism and skill. But to the to the socios, for your interest, for your belief, for your participation, for your wit, um, thank you in terms of what you send in. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the message. Um, without you, we're nothing. <laughs>